Welcome to the Talented Learning Show podcast series, episode 32 with independent learning tech analyst John Lay. Today, I interview Bill Cusher, GM of LearnDot, about building a customer education business case. You can find more of our fiercely independent content at talentedlearning.com. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Talented Learning Show. On this show, I'm fortunate to interview the world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning from both the practitioner and the solution provider perspective. Today's guest, Bill Cushard, is from the vendor expert side of the fence, working for a leading customer education software solution organization called LearnDot. Bill is widely recognized as a customer education advocate who regularly shares his expertise and advice in blogs, books, webinars, and on his extremely popular podcast, Helping Sells. We're lucky to turn the interview tables on Bill today. Bill, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Wow, John, it's a pleasure to be here. I can't even believe it. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, likewise, actually, I'm humbled uh, uh, doing our research here. We saw that you had 102, 162 episodes of your own podcast. Uh, so I've, I've never interviewed anybody that was so much more experienced uh, at interviewing than me. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it goes today. But maybe we can uh, start off, Bill, by why don't you tell us about yourself and how you got started on the customer education, customer learning journey. How, how did that all develop? Well, okay, so currently I'm a general manager of uh, LearnDot by ServiceRocket. LearnDot is a business unit of the ServiceRocket, which at, at a corporate level, ServiceRocket is in the business of software adoption among all of the different journeys you could imagine. And LearnDot you know, is about training customers on software products. Um, and my career, frankly, started in the brokerage business, you know, at E-Trade, talking to customers about their stock market accounts. And uh, this is in the, in the boom time of the late 90s. And there was a new hire class downstairs and nobody to teach it. And someone came upstairs and said, who wants to do it? I raised my hand and I basically never left training. So most of my career was, and you know, I fumbled for months trying to explain what a long straddle and a stock option was, right? Uh, until I figured it out. but. So maybe you know the first 10 or 12 years of my career was learning and development. You know, that was it. And I got to a point where I wanted, I don't know how I thought about it then, but looking back on it, I didn't want to be overhead anymore. I guess, and I also wanted to be closer to the customers. And when you're in L and D, you're less like that. And I didn't more and more I didn't like to it was harder to justify why you exist in the world, in the corporate world, right? And so I started slowly moving to customer-facing training, people who were paying for it, right? So I don't have to worry about the four levels of training evaluation because I wanted to evaluate training with invoices. And like, that's it. <laughs> Keep my life simple. So I worked at Accenture doing um, e-learning development projects for customers. You know, they're paying for it. Uh, I was a, a chief learning officer at the Nolan Group, a software company that and I did all the training for customers. Hotels were the customers for all that training. And I eventually got the service rocket in 2013. And I've been here six years and doing, you know, helping people with customer training and helping them sell their customer training ever since. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And when I started Talented Learning six years ago, uh, you're one of the first people I ran into here. We've been talking over the years about extended yeah. enterprise and, and customer training the whole time. So it's great to have you on here so we can share our conversations with everybody. So, uh, you know, you're one of the, the the people in the world here that's got your your thumb on the pulse of what's going on in, in customer education. What's the state of, of the industry right now? You know, 
I start with, to me, the leaders, the software companies, and of course I specialize in software companies, right? So I'm not gonna, I don't know anything about anything else, but like <laughs> in the software company business, it's the open source software companies that in my opinion are just plain leading, right? And they're leading for a couple of important reasons. One is when the software is free, you have to make money with services and training is a service, okay? So that's one, the main one. And some soft, some open source software companies, you know, they'll hire an education person as employee number 20, for example, and training might be one of their first sources of revenue, right? Um, and that sort of doubles as marketing because if you're selling some fancy emerging open source software company that only you know, the Jeffrey Moore innovators and early adopters are thinking about, you know, they are clamoring to learn it. So they're going to show up for the four day class in Denver at the Marriott to learn Hadoop or Cockroach Labs or, you know, NoSQL or whatever it is, RongoDB, all these, you know, whatever they are. And this, this thing called training for these open source software companies. So the second thing is it becomes marketing because you now you can, sort of give these people the logos and the t-shirts and the, you know, the evangelist teaching the class who everyone is a fan of, you know, we're all fanboys of the, of the fancy developer that those two things make these guys leaders. They have to go out and lead with training, like almost by necessity. So they figure it out. And also it becomes marketing and it becomes customer success. Right. And then that grows from there right? You start to evangelize, you start to gain adoption and, you know, they sort of lead in many ways they can lead with training. Well, and that's, that's an interesting point. So I wouldn't think that there's enough open source software companies out there to, to make an impact in, in comparison to the commercial. That's sounds like that's not the case. That's not a right assumption. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of a good point. If you go into Crunchbase and look up soft, enterprise software companies, and then you filter down by open source, there's hundreds of them. Wow. Right. So it's not like it's thousands or millions. So if you expand that search into enterprise software companies that are then SaaS, that the number goes SaaS and even cloud, and you might even say on premise, you can go to, you know, the search might be 5,000 software companies in the world. Now, a lot of SaaS companies, in my experience, their attitude is, you know, training is sort of an afterthought because a lot of, now I'm, I'm generalizing. But okay. a lot of times what these SaaS companies want to do is be scalable from the beginning. In other words, they don't, a lot of them don't even have enterprise sales teams. They just want everything to be self-service, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, Dropbox is an example of that, right? Um, and so why, that kind of a company is certainly not going to want to hire a training team and pay money on LMSs and, you know, they're just going to do some help files, and do some videos and, you know, leave us alone because that's not their business model, right? The business model is a self-paced. Um, you know, until General Motors calls and wants to do, you know, an enterprise-wide license. And then it's like, well, you're going to send someone to train us, right? And then, oh, I don't know. No, <laughs> you're crazy. We can't do that. Um, so you have these two camps, right? An open source software company, and I'm generalizing, but they may lead with training because it's a service that they can monetize. And of course, who the heck knows what MongoDB is in 2009, right? So that you have to get out there and educate the market. Um, and, and the SaaS company is going to lead with training. If it does do training, it's going to be free. It's going to be part of the service, 
it's the second S in SAS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually they sort of meet in the middle. That's kind of what happens. That is, I, I don't think I've ever heard it uh, explained that way. That uh, That's really unique. So the measurable, one of the things that we say at Town to Learning and that we've been observing uh, since the very beginning is that uh, one of the drivers of uh, of customer education is that it's so measurable. Uh, there There's ways to really quantify your process. You, you joked earlier about invoices. What do you think of the top three metrics uh, that were would get new software companies, uh, get them to jump into this customer education? Three metrics would be enrollments. Mm-hmm. So not, the way I look at metrics is sort of, you know, staged, right? So on day one, the first time you do a training course or training course, the first time you offer it, the only thing you really care about is, are people going to show up? Right. I mean, that's your only metric that really matters. Right. So it's like it, it's you either measure it with enrollments um, or signups or completions. I mean, you, any of those numbers would be like number one. Are people going to show up now if your strategy is like video first or on demand kind of first, then your metric is going to be do people. Uh, well, if it's if you're not tracking it, if you do a YouTube strategy and embed videos, you don't really know. You just see clicks. But if you have some kind of registration strategy, you want to know who's doing it, who shows up, who signs up for it. That's one. The Ooh. second thing is, the second metric would be contacts created, like new contacts created. Um, now, that metric isn't going to apply to someone who gates all their content and only lets customers get to the training, sure. which I kind of mostly think is a mistake. But the, the second metric is, are new people signing up to you to get to the training? Right. Of course, marketing wants to know that. Right. But, um, you know, you want to know are people who is a new person that signs up. That's number two. And then the third one would be sales. Did someone buy the course that you made available that they can enroll in? Mm-hmm. Now, you may not sell training. And so you're going to go back to the enrollment number. But that's the first. Those are like the first three metrics I would measure. And I would sort of ignore all of the click through and the hot jar and the how long did someone spend on slide 17 of your 19 slide video i mean that, to me that's all important when you're bigger and mature and you're trying to optimize you know for more but when you're starting off i would even you know did people are people showing up are people doing it and are they paying for it mm-hmm. that's what you're looking for and that'll get you out of the gate on whether you're you're initially uh, i guess uh, responsive to the market and, and making some progress here uh, with your customers. What about the next stage then that I hear a lot of organizations will, will talk about what they really want to see is now how do those clicks and new contacts created translate into I don't know uh, renewal rates or incremental sales or complementary sales or or you know moving the business needle somehow. Do you see that as something that is kind of more on the bleeding edge or from a measurement standpoint or something that organizations are, can get to pretty quickly. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, yeah, the phase two metrics, you want to be tying the training to a, an outcome and you have to define that outcome precisely. Are they renewing more? Are they upgrading more? Are they buying more product? Um, so I, frankly, I think very few software companies are actually doing this. Wow. And if someone could solve this problem, which we're working on, um, it would be a big deal to customers because think of it this way. You know, when, when we deal with our customers today, we're doing things with them in a very simple and manual way just to understand how to do it. So, for example, 
because you know going into databases and hiring data scientists and you know and, and business intelligence analysts that's all expensive hard you know get in line the education team is not a priority to get those people's times so you have to start off by yourself so the way i describe it is with our customers i say okay let's make two lists okay let's make two lists list number one is a list of customers that took the training in the last period of time pick a period last month the last year the last quarter it's kind of important to just pick the time period just define it it doesn't even matter what the def definition is but you want to pick a time frame last six months let's say and so that might be a hundred customers or that might be 50 customers and you just write them all down like by account okay then the second list is another set of customers that have during the same time period that did not take training just put those two lists on a spreadsheet, column A and column C, okay? Go down the list. Now in column B and D, what I would do is go into the CRM and then pick the outcome you want. Like let's say it's, I like to use the outcome of uh, opportunity size, deal size, right? Because that's a number, it's in the Salesforce, it's indisputable. Even if it changes, you know that the software deal was $50,000 for you know, whatever, however many users, whatever they're buying. Mm -hmm. I could go into those accounts and say, oh, I see 10,000, 9,000, 4,000. And I could just go and I input the numbers with, the, with my fingers. I could do this with the pencil. And then you have two columns of numbers. Then you average it out and you say, now you have a number that says customers who took training have an average deal size of 10,000. Customers did not, who did not take training have an average deal size of 5,000. Okay. So maybe you see a difference between those two and maybe that's not perfect. And the statistician is going to laugh us out of the room and say, well, that's not very scientific. Like, oh, okay, thanks a lot. I mean, you know, give me a break, <laughs> but you start somewhere. Anybody can do this exercise. And then if you see a difference, right, you can say, well, is that a good difference or not? Well, it's a judgment call and you know, and you wouldn't be limited necessarily to columns B and D cause you could say, well, size of opportunity or number, of opportunities or days sales outstanding. So then you, you do this one time and you, you look at those hundred customers and imagine you come up with, well, the people that haven't gone through training have that $5,000, but the people that have gone through training and got that certification have a $25,000 average size. And you're like, holy cow, that's five times bigger. You take it to your management, you say, look at the impact of this. And they say, that's great. Why don't you put that in a business case that's a little bit more professional? And I think that is probably one of the scariest things for training professionals uh, to hear. Uh, how about it? So I know that you do a lot of work, probably more than most, on thinking about business cases for customer education. Mm -hmm. Why don't you take a step back and say, you know, define what that is and how sophisticated does that need to be? And how does that kind of pile on to what we've been talking about, the column A and B uh, type concept here? Yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. We get customers to ask us this all the time. Can you help us? You know, one woman just last week says, "Can you help me do that? Like, make my business case, right?" <laughs> I mean, almost just a plea, and it's just—I've never gotten perfect. That. Never, no, that oh, I'm sure not. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, first of all, to your example, one set of customers is at five thousand, one's at twenty-five thousand, and we go, "Oh my gosh!" You know, we we leap to a conclusion. Oh my gosh, people that took training have a five times higher deal size we're gonna, we obviously we have to do more training so the first step in your business case <laughs> is sort of the hypothesis 
and setting the goal. Okay, mm -hmm. so in this stage is the hypothesis is if people, if more customers take training, deal sizes will go up. Okay, you need to start with that premise because mm -hmm. you have some data to, to suggest that. So the second part of that is set the goal. Okay, so now this is where precision matters again. The goal is to obviously make the deal size go up, but the goal could be just to get more customers to take training because that will lead to more customers that have a higher deal size. So, that, you know, how you define the goal matters and it doesn't really matter which way you do it as long as it's precise. So you might set a goal in your business case that the goal for 2000, for 2020 is um, we're going to get, let's say, twice as many customers to complete training like that's the goal mm -hmm. okay or maybe it's another hundred customers to complete training and by customer i would use account now you customer for you might be number of users in an account i we've had customers that you know ran a report at the end of the year and said to their management team look how good we are we did ten thousand individual employee customers through our training this year and then the CEO said, okay, great, now 10X that. Okay, so, you know, mm -hmm. the number of users might be the goal, not the number of accounts, but that's the point. You have to pick your poison and mm -hmm. be precise about it. So that first, it's like that goal and that hypothesis. The second uh, part of that business case is gonna be that ROI investment payback thing where you say, um, if we get those extra 100 accounts to take training, we think the average increase in deal size is going to be $10,000. So 100 times 10,000 equals 10 million or 1 million, whatever the number is. And we say we can increase deal size from 5,000 average to 7,000 average, right? So now you have an increase in dollar amount going through the system. Okay, that's your hypothesis and hopefully you can beat it and all that, but there's your plan. Our goal is to go from average deal size of the, you know, the return part of the ROI calculator is the increase of 2000 bucks on that average, right? Whatever you do the math, mm -hmm. then you say, okay, to make that extra 2000, we need to, obviously we have to do more training. We don't have enough technology or we don't have enough people or we don't have enough content, right? We're gonna have to do something more. So you might say, well, we're gonna spend, I don't know, half that. We're gonna spend $1,000 to invest in something to make that extra two. And so that, and, and you, you know, that it might be you want to invest 1900 It might be you want to invest 1000 And your CEO says, you don't get any more investment. You have to figure it out. Okay, fine. Well, we invest zero. Let's get some free software or, you know, hire a contractor from Upwork. Um, so there's that. Then that's step two is like do the math, right? On mm -hmm. We'll invest 1000 so that we can get that 2000 So then the third step is going to be... Um, there's like three parts to this third step. To, to me, it's like it all encompasses in some kind of a roadmap where you want to map out, okay, in month one, we're going to do this. In Q2, we're going to do that. Whatever those things are you need to do, like if you don't have a video authoring tool and your strategy to get that extra 2,000 customers is going to be to make more videos, well, we better, it's step one, buy the software, right? And yeah. if we don't have an instructional designer, we need to hire the instructional designer. So part two of this roadmap is going to be, you got to create a forecast, uh, sorry, a, a staffing model. You uh -huh. have to get your spreadsheet out and say, 
what roles we're going to need and when we're going to need them and how do we know we're going to need those roles and when like you have to predict that you can't just go to this is a huge mistake people go to their uh, bosses and say we're busy we need to hire somebody and you can't do that you have to say our vol our training volumes are x the two people we have can only handle x minus one of those right we're forecasting an extra t two we need to hire someone on august august 1st so we're ready for september 3rd mm -hmm. right so this is sort of the staffing model of how do you hire an instructional designer and how do you, and when do you hire a, a delivery person if you're doing live training and you got to sort of map that out that's what mm -hmm. a sales team would do. That's what a call center would do with service people. You sort of have volumes and you sort of have to figure that math out, even if it's estimating, right? Then right. the last bit is the forecast, which is part of that staffing model. You got to forecast your customer volume going through your training, right? So if we're doing 5,000 customers a year now, which is like what, 500 customers a month or 300 customers a month, you say, well, in January, we're going to be doing 30, 350 customers. And then in February, we're going to be doing 400 customers. And so you have this volume of how many people are going to come through the training. And then you can, that cascades down to when do we need content to be ready? When do we need to hire another designer to handle the load? When do we need another delivery person? So these forecasting models and this roadmap is what you need next. And I'm kind of going on and on, but those three things are what you need. Your goal, your investment calculator, and some kind of a roadmap. It predicts where you're headed. Uh, some great insight. All our conversations, Bill, we we rapidly burn through the time that we've <laughs> that we've allocated as we start getting into customer education. But if you could, uh, for our audience, if you could offer one piece of advice for somebody getting going right in their first business case, it seems intimidating. You know, what would be the the, the piece of advice you want to share based on your vast experience? I'll say two things. You have to start with one is the uh, the hypothesis and the goal you have to get that right now your hypothesis is some version of if we do training i promise something is going to get better and you have to know what that something <laughs> is right and then set a goal saying okay i think it's going to get better and i think that instead of i think that i can do 10 new customers this year you know so you have to pick that number mm -hmm. then the second piece of advice is start small and start free and start um enough where you by yourself without asking for too much money can go out there and get the zoom account going or the go to whatever Perfect. and train and do it live start with live training don't start with videos because you you know live training you get feedback from customers you get revs you know you can do a rough version of a class right now and teach it and teach it again and teach it again and teach it again that's and you can have like 10 courses done in a month that are one hour long and get feedback you can't do that by making a video for three months so sure. but you have to get the hypothesis right set a goal and then start cheap and small and free and just call a customer and say can i get three of your team on and let's i'll teach you some stuff start there there you have it sage advice bill cushard general manager learn dot bill thanks for joining me today it's a pleasure to catch up on the industry and, and listeners thanks again for attending another episode of the talented learning show you can find more of our fiercely independent content at townslearning.com.